This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. This doesn't need to turn into a Too Scary Didn't Watch tribute podcast or particularly an M tribute podcast, but it can. and I'm open to that. And M had this really uh, useful expression she used probably 20 or 30 episodes ago about her brain being broken. And um, the exciting thing is mine's become broken, Shag, since you and I last talked because the only artwork I'm really interested in these days is 50 Cent's Window Shopper. (laughs) And (laughs) the fact that a new Nas album came out sort of today or yesterday and it was super boring and 50 disses Nas on this song, it just I I just feel it makes it all the more relevant. And Shag, uh-uh. Are we at a point where you and I can possibly agree that 50 Cent's Window Shopper may in fact be his best song? Early 50 Cent Mm. is a genre unto itself. Yes. So completely in control of his skills. Mm. As like I don't know if he was selecting his beats. It's like a lot of the rappers I love, people like Pusha T, like he famously mm. is like, I just Neptune's choose the beat. Or they they made the beats. I'm not a musician, <laughs> I just rap. Like, and that's yeah. not like about the I don't know if he does that. But mm. as like a cocky storyteller who could effortlessly ride a beat and just feel so untouchable, like Yes. It, 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 it's hard to find a comparison in any art form of someone who is just at the height of their powers. And you're right, Window Shopper is one of those apex moments of him, mm. as a, I, I guess, as a musical predator. It has taught me a lot about later franchise, you know, sequels, what I feel like a third, fourth, fifth sequels in horror films. You know, I've often thought, um, how can this genre sustain itself after the first one or two exciting films? You know, I liked Terminator 2 at the movies. I'm not going to say Terminator.com hacking the mainframe or whatever it's called. Terminator.com. <laughs> you know, like, he turns into things? a browser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the wheel of doom really is super scary it's a, <laughs> it's an awesome thing but um uh, i think using this as 50 cents apex it sort of feels like the fourth or fifth you know in like a halloween um uh sort of set of sequels because i just want to extract something you had to say about it so it's it's the lead single from the soundtrack for the film that's based on him right so He's acting in a film based on him, playing a character based on him, right? And he's like, hey, look, it's inspired by a scene where my character is looking through a store window, sees some shoes and decides to start hustling. I kind of took it, which is to say took my character's reflection on this and made it relevant to 50 Cent because I know the general public isn't going to expect less than the best material from 50 Cent. They're not going to understand that I wrote that in character, 
and that I'm saying things different from what they've already assumed I am and what they're already used to. So he's created a palimpsest, right? Shaggy, you might be familiar with that cultural phenomenon where like one layer of culture is sort of painted another layer painted on top. You think about your um, excellent graffiti used to be a sign of contested space and nowadays it's almost become a sign of gentrification. So it's almost both both things at once. And so he is at once uh, making a, a fictionalised docudrama about his life. Uh, he's writing the song about it as an artist on it and then he's taking inspiration from the thing based on his life. So it's like he's playing four-dimensional chess with himself. But as he does it, his skills are at a place where he goes on autopilot. So if I can just take you into four bars in verse two, right, where his brain is switched off. He does not care at all. He has spent 10 or 12 minutes writing the song, coming up with the melody for the for the raps and doing nothing else. So you, you'll remember, Shag, every single line or the first 12 bars of every verse goes, so that's one of his his secrets, his hacks, right? He finds the beat and he finds the perfect melody for it. And this verse especially in this excerpt here comes off like when you're learning to freestyle, you don't know where you're going. So you just go to the end of a line and you're like, hopefully I can come up with a rhyme to what I just said by the time I get to the end of this next bar. So you can hear the panic. So he's just rapped about flying in from New York. He starts spitting G at a like a pimp main. And uh, she can bring the lingerie with her, I suppose. Then we can go from fully dressed to just having no clothes. <laughs> and then <laughs> then she can run and tell her friend about my sex game. And then her best friend could potentially be next, mate. And it's just like, okay. It's <laughs> just, just, it's just like back of, the, back of the napkin type rap raps. And then he's like, listen, mate, shit changed. I came up, I'm doing my thing. Homie, I'm holding, holding, holding. And I'm not sure if you remember the melody. It's fucking glorious and it's one of the greatest pop songs of all time. Well, maybe that's, sorry, that might be a step too far, but it's certainly Apex 50. And just hearing these absolute fucking trash lyrics spat by a man who's at the peak of his cultural relevance, just sort of going through the motions, but also being on top of a cultural juggernaut made me think of what it must be like to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 5 where... You know, you must have the heart of this great idea, the heart of this culturally influential juggernaut, and you've got broadly your cliches, your boxes you can tick, uh, and, you know, you want, like the audience understands what it's going to get from Nightmare on Elm Street 5. You know what you're going to produce, and you're sort of just in the pocket cruising along. And to me, this song is hubris. Like, I mean, it, it's ironic that it's a hubristic song, and it's him saying, I don't really give a shit about what I'm creating right here. And it's attempting to be fan service at the same time while also just settling a few personal scores along the way. So I feel it has the um, heartless, soulless uh, core, but it nonetheless has all the facade that I imagine comes with Saw 7 or comes with Halloween H2O or anything like that. And despite me using the word soulless, I still think it's a fucking amazing song. And I expect that's why people will go see Nightmare on Elm Street 5 and why Halloween dot 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 ends question mark is going to be on some people's, you know, top 10 lists this year. Shag, does that make sense in the context of the of the longevity of these franchises? Peach, I love when you take me on a journey and it's always a mini essay about 50 Cent, which is amazing. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. And yes, mm. I can only imagine 
how disappointed I would have been as someone who loved the original Friday the 13th and seeing in one of the later films during the AIDS and HIV crisis using like there's one bit where he has syringes instead of knives on his hand to be like I'm going to like get you like it's just like it, it it really does fall. Like, of course it does fall. But Peach, I would like to, mm. I would like to talk about 50 Cent and Window Shopper in particular from mm. another perspective and take you on a journey to yes. today's film, if that's okay. Yes. That could be next, mate. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Window Shopper joke. <laughs> so, so I was thinking about Window Shopper today mm. and the fact that, Hip hop culture is probably one of the most influential drivers of contemporary culture and still Excuse is, it. you know, like it's where a slang comes from, it's where clothing styles come from, it's where, you know, musical trends come from. There's a reason why when algorithmic musical finding forces us all to listen to everything and then artists create music that sounds like everything, a key part of that music is the fact that it has a very clear hip-hop influence like whether it's mm. the beat or the sampling or whatever right and and of course that culture is what's the term you used i've never heard that term before a, a palimpsest i think it refers to an earlier tradition where you'd paint over a painting right so and so something can be palimpsestual so so obviously it, it's it's really tough when everyone's like i want to stay true to hip-hop and it's like you kind of can't like any big culture oh, fuck. The, it's, then you're nars yeah it's built on things and so so sometimes mm. it's hard to see things that are there and mm. in a song like window shopper where the chorus is basically 50 being like you pretend like you've got money but basically you're just a window shopper you're looking at all the things i can buy everything because i've got heaps of money and the critics of hip hop being like, oh, they just talk about money. And it's like, well, no, like it's clearly a point uh, w- w- where that comes from is clearly a point about class where it's like, if you're lower class in a lot of the West, including America, even though mm. there's this myth that anybody can make it and become successful, if you're lower class, it's a lot harder to bridge that wealth gap and get there. Mm. So if you do get the wealth gap, you're going to flaunt it because it's like, I wasn't supposed to be here. And I guess my point is it's like class is everywhere. We just pretend it's not there. Yes. So with that in mind, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how scary kids are, especially British kids. Do you think there's like a little bit of unchecked on our part classism to that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm not scared of little aristocratic kids. But I'm scared of like, you fucking what? Fucking Peach? I'd be like, oh, God, 11-year-old child, please do not stab me. So there, there was an issue that sort of came up and has been revisited, I've seen recently in horror discourse online, mm. about a series of horror films made in Britain in the sort of mid 2000 whatever you call the first decade of the 2000s i don't mm. know if we've decided on a name for it maybe it's just the thousands is it the noughties Was it's that the, the noughties? noughties but then i'm kind of like does the mm. noughties include like up to now yeah no fair i got nothing for you yeah, very yeah, fair anyway. the, and they were called hoodie horror where basically the bad guys were a bunch of scary youths. lower class youths right mm. and 
it, it made me go back to this film that we're going to cover today that I love and still love, but I think is hyper problematic. And it made me think, okay, well, fuck, maybe when we talk about scary kids, what we're actually doing is showing uh, some unchecked classism and we shit. really need to... Do you see what I mean? Well said, yes, bravo. Very insightful. Anyway. Very insightful. Okay, all right. So today, Peach, we're doing a film that is... Like, at the time, I remember everyone talking about this film being... Awful. Well, at least in the circles I was reading, people were mm. like, fuck, this movie's brutal. It's amazing. But then more and more, I saw more people talk about it being, hang on, actually, is this just a massively classist film? And I'm not... Oh, God. I'm not, no, no, I'm not 100% sure it is. And I do still yeah. think it's a good film, but mm. it definitely is super problematic. And I think it's going to be interesting to hear your take on it, Peach. Today, we are doing a... Like incredibly brutal, like incredibly brutal, 2008 British horror thriller film called Eden Lake. I can go watch the trailer, I suppose. No, that's not quite. I can go watch the trailer, I suppose. <laughs> so, Cat's boyfriend is taking her to Paris for the weekend, and my boyfriend's taking me to a disused quarry. <sighs> At your first opportunity, turn around. <laughs> oh, it's a fast bender. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just find another spot? I'm not going to be bullied away by a bunch of 12-year-olds. Hey, guys, can you turn your sounds down, please? On air, you, mate. <laughs> Steve, where's the beach bag? It's got the car keys in it. I just want my car back. Car keys, phone, wallet. You've had your fun. First moon he sees 999. Now we've got to finish this. Run! Listen to me. Go get him. Go! They've got to get us out of here. You hold on. Oh, gosh. The fact that it starts off that the inciting incident is basically asking someone to be quiet on the quiet carriage is, <laughs> is pretty intense for me. <laughs> Pete, you're really not going to like this film. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what I do want to say, though, is mm. I'd like to clarify something I said before as well because I was like, mm. class is everywhere but sometimes you don't see it. Actually, only that's, a certain... That's your privilege. That's our privilege, yes. Right? It's my yeah. turn to name check a podcast. There's a really famous episode mm. of This American Life. I think it's called Three Miles, in which it talks about a program in New York City in which these schools that are only separated by, I think, three miles, but one is in like the poorest district of New York and one is in the most privileged district of New York, have this program where students go to each other's schools for like a couple of weeks. Sick. And what's really funny about this program is the kids from the previous school go to the underprivileged school and they come back being like, wow, we've learned so much. Oh my God, like what an amazing experience. You know, thank you so much. <clears throat> but what they then do is they follow like a really gifted, promising student from the underprivileged school. And pretty much the day she starts this program and goes to the rich school, she starts just basically giving up. Like she stops trying. She eventually drops out of school and is just working in a store. And they try to follow her to be like, hey, like, w what happened? And she's like, what's, what's the fucking point? Like, oh, you know, three yeah. miles away, they have all of this and I have nothing. 
and I'm supposed to just go and like cosplay as a rich kid for a while. Like, why bother? Now, now there's there is a happy ending to that story eventually, but mm. it it to me it's it, it's always struck struck me because it is that exact point where it's like, if you're upper class, mm. you are so shielded from it that you kind of expect to only be treated fairly and everything just to sort of work out because that's how it always does. And when things don't, you react with rage, you react with anger, you react with indignation mm. because you're like, hang on. That's not right. Right, that's not right. Normal. Mm. Anyway, so I guess this is what happens in this film to a broad degree. We have, as you said before, you had Michael Fassbender and his girlfriend basically terrorized by a group of youths but michael fassbender kind of starts a lot of it and in no way am i being like and in fact in fact in no way is the film being like they're the victims like that that it's i think it's a lot more nuanced than the critics of it would say it's still not perfect Mm. by any means and it still is definitely has totally classist undertones but i i think there's a really interesting element of this film that i really like is the reason all of this shit happens and it gets as dark as it does is because Michael Fassbender is like, I shouldn't have to put up with this behavior. Why Why don't I just go and have awesome. a talk to these? Yes. What are their parents doing? They're, well, I'm going, you know, like, and it's kind of that the cause. And I'm obviously I'm not victim blaming because he's a, a, a like such a victim in this film, but it it's kind of his behavior that is the catalyst for everything spiraling out of control. Oh, fuck, it's a peach uh, public public service announcement. Well, well, I'm not. In fact, I'm not actually saying that. I think this, this is all like this is like Al's nightmare. Is you're like you're gonna go fucking confront someone on one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not me. I've confronted heaps of people. It'll be fine. I'll just <laughs> confront like, some more people. It's the quiet carriage. It should be. <laughs> yeah. Why is it anyone? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. Anyway, sorry mm. that no, I'm about you it. you can see how yeah. how much I've enjoyed the discourse around this film and how complicated again, kind of like Terrify Two, how complicated my feelings are to this one. But it's definitely a worthy film to cover. Anyway, this film was written and directed by Jim Watkins, who also did one of the few horror films you have seen. That is it called the Lady in Black or the Woman in Black? Yeah, I've seen Lady in Black. Right? <laughs> he also directed that film. Okay, well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep on the lookout for similarities. Lady in Black had Daniel Radcliffe in it, which I'm not sure this one. No, it doesn't have Daniel Radcliffe in it. <laughs> also, I don't know if you remember the film that well. Was he very good at names in that film? In names for characters? No, I don't recall. I'm afraid there's some good names coming. Well, the, the two names I'm going to read to you. Mm. maybe you just brush them off and be like, whatever. But the moment you think these are the sort of names people come up with when they can't oh, think of names no. and they've been like staring at a piece of paper or a blank computer just screen Just go through the phone book or like for me, like look at court hearings. Like there's just an infinite number of like real people's surnames who are at court. Like, I don't know. Yeah, okay. What have they gone with, Shag? So played by Kelly Riley and Michael Fassbender, who are the main upper class couple in this film. Steve Taylor. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. Takes his girlfriend, Jenny Greengrass. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) 
You can't just give up. I think I think that's a problem. <laughs> you can't just be like fuck it. I'm not. I'm not even gonna. <laughs> it's gonna it's almost like someone made a joke that was like, "What about like Jenny Greengrass?" Well, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna fucking yeah. make a Jenny Greengrass." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I'm too scared to make a Jenny Greengrass. So, yeah, let's see. <laughs> Anyway, so right? what the fuck? <laughs> Steve Taylor. Anyway, <laughs> so they go to a remote lake in this the wooded- sports teams. Sports teams have got some weird surnames there. Just <laughs> flick through like it's so easy. Anyway. <laughs> so they go to a remote lake in the wooded English countryside for a relaxing weekend away where he plans to propose. Now, a couple of things about this. From the beginning, that makes it clear to me that Jim knew what was happening here and wasn't just being like, underprivileged kids are evil. This Steve, sorry, Jim, the creator, the auteur. Yes, I understand. They are sneaking in to Mm. a development that's being made into like an upper-class property that he knows about through like family friends called Eden Mm. Lake. And... It's that thing where, again, I think when you're like super privileged, it's like, let's just trespass. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Right? Everything's been pretty great for us so far. <laughs> and presumably that'll just continue. And, and when they're going in on the other side of the sign that says coming soon, Eden Lake, there's, there's some, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like, you know, fuck off yuppie cunts. Yep. So it's very clear, like they're, they're being, like, I understand there's a critical reading that's like, how threatening is, uh, are these kids? But I think it's more a case of there's clearly a class divide that is impacting unfairly on mm. people not from London. Anyway, okay. As Steve and Jenny attempt to wind down, oh, wait, hang on, before this, no, 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 actually. So, so one thing I do want to say about Eden Lake is... Mm. Uh, I'm talking about classism and I'm going to say something like this, but there's this thing that happens in England and then sometimes in films in the States where everyone goes to a lake and swims and is like playing on the lake's beach and being like, you know, they brought the boombox and they're like, fuck yeah, we're finally at the lake. It's so beautiful. And it's like, they just look like shit. Like I think, oh yeah, swimming in a lake. Are you fucking kidding? I, and and it's like I think we're so privileged. We, we're so, yeah. but, but but we're so lucky living in Australia because it's like mm. it's just, especially in Sydney, it's like it's so easy to find a picturesque beach anywhere that I can just go swim out in the ocean. Imagine if I was like Shag, let's go to the lake. You'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and it, it's just one of those things where it's like, as I was watching it, they drive like so far out of the city. They have to trespass through this gate. It's still like a half hour drive through this place. And then eventually they get to this lake and he's like, see, it was worth it. And she's like, oh, it's beautiful. And I'm looking at it and I'm being like, this is a piece of shit. Like... <laughs> I just and and it's I'm gonna check your check your beach privilege. <laughs> but it, it's like, but also with everything that happened, it's like you fucking died for this. Like, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> fuck. The world pre pre Instagram has got to be really challenging as well. Like, someone told me it was really nice. I'm like, imagine. <laughs> anyway, okay. On the way. They meet a young... That puts such, such pressure on the partner, though, as well, to be like, see, it was all worth it. Like, what are you going to say? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, let's go home. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> so on the way, they meet a young boy who's clearly a massive nerd who's, like, collecting insects or animals or something. I can't remember. 
um, named Adam, who she talks to. She's a school teacher that they set up at the very beginning. Jenny Greengrass, the beautiful young school teacher. Yeah. Oh, fuck, that fucking stinks. And Adam's like, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. And she's like, actually, that's really smart. And then they just go to the beach. As Steve and Jenny attempt to wind down, the peaceful setting is disrupted. Now, what's interesting about even this Wikipedia synopsis is like totally geared against the kids. So as Steve and Jenny attempt to wind down, the peaceful setting peaceful is disrupted by a gang of rowdy teenagers who have ridden their bicycles to a spot within a few meters of the young couple. Yeah, like they've picked a side, clearly. Yeah, right? this, Yeah. And yeah, and that's what's so funny is because the film, like I, I guess my point is and why I, I don't want to give up on this film is because it's like I don't think mm. the film actually picks a side really. Yeah, okay. So Steve asks them to keep the noise down but is met with abuse. But also he does it in that sort of like, is that all right, boys? Yeah. All right. Well done. Okay. Good and stuff. super condescending way. And there's this element that you can see. And I think Michael Fassbender plays this so well in that he clearly thinks he's better than these kids and everyone in this town. Like it's, it's, he does it. He like, he, he plays this role so well that you can just tell that. And there's, there's no obvious lines where he says something like that really. But it, there, there's an element to that. And I think the kids totally pick up on that. But also, like, him going up to these kids in the middle of nowhere and telling them to keep it down was never going to work or do anything for them. But anyway, they, they do eventually leave. Yeah. Steve and Jenny camp the night. The next morning, they find their food supplies have been infested with insects and their car tire damaged by a bottle left behind by the teens. While driving into town for breakfast, they go to this cafe. There's there's a really great scene where so the whole point is like just to camp near this shitty lake. Yes, they camp. That's my other point. It's they're like, like they're near a town with nice cafes. Well, okay. so so they go into town now. Before they get to the cafe, I should point out he sees the kids riding around on bikes and he tries to chase them in his car, but they eventually go down an alleyway. It's like, what the Oh, fuck? what the fuck? Right? Okay, so he's an idiot. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, so then they go to this cafe, and the waitress comes to take their order, and who's clearly an age where she could be a mom of one of the teenagers. He asks her if she knows anything about a gang of kids on BMX bikes. She sort of makes a joke where it's like, oh, they're little devils. Have they been terrorizing you? And he, he basically is like, doesn't go along with it he's like um actually they kind of like you know punctured my wheel and i don't think that's cool and she's like you're a big guy you should be okay they're just kids and he's like well you know like i feel like their parents should say something about it and she's like what they're not my boys and like really pissed off and then leaves and jenny greengrass says to steve oh you're making friends here and it's like it's just Every step of the way, he has Makes a chance to choice. de-escalate things, yeah. but he doesn't. Anyway, so... This isn't victim blaming so much as just someone not, well, maybe not, not managing risks, but, but is victim blaming. But that's, So he's just doing, making stupid choices. This, this is running back up into the house. This is running upstairs in the house. Wait, well, speaking of that, yeah. while driving through town after breakfast, he spots a house with a bunch of BMX bikes out the front. Oh, God. Goes to the front door, knocks on the door. No one's home. So goes inside, 
snoops around. He's upstairs in one of the kids' bedrooms when the... Now, this is where the sort of classism comes in, where the clearly abusive dad comes in, probably a bit drunk from wherever he's been, and is basically shouting upstairs, Oh, is that you? Is that you? I've got to come up there and, you know, like, whatever. So he escapes out the window back into the car and they drive away. So it's, yeah, it's not a perfect film. Absolutely not. Back at the lake. Now, this is the other weird thing. So it's this lake. It doesn't look like a particularly clean lake. And not only has he brought, like, his snorkel, he's brought his scuba gear. What? And it's like, what are you doing? What What is going on in this film? It's just like, England's a weird place. I'm sorry, like, if you are listening from England, tell me, do people scuba dive and snorkel in lakes? Because it's just... It's it's a behavior I've never heard of. Our English listeners will tell tell us, will confirm for us that it has the most lush green countryside like on earth. If you want to experience nature in England, just like walk through the country and admire the most stunningly beautiful country on earth. I don't know. Anyway, all right. So while he's scuba diving, it'll be fucking freezing as well. They're like, let's go hang. (laughs) Anyway, so he's scuba diving. She's taking him out he's on the world's sorry, worst just, beach. Just oh, and the other thing about the beach. Like, yeah. I'm also like, the beach is like brown. It's like a dirt beach. It's like they've, they've, they've camped on this dirt beach. And it's just like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Like, seriously, <laughs> come on. Scuba diving in the dirt beach. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to see in this little lake? Is it like, I can't it's wait like, to see some reeds and some you know, seaweed. It'll be awesome. Like, yeah. And I and I guess look like look, I in fairness rivers also suck. Like so, like uh, we lived for a time sort of in part of the part of the Hunter Valley, and um, in high summer it gets like thirty five, forty degrees. It'd be really hot, and then we clock off on Friday at like five thirty. Locals would be like, should we go swim in the lake? And first time I was like, oh, of course we should. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good dirty brown. Can't really see through the murkiness. And you're like, well, what does that just go for a nice cold shower? It sounds nice to me. Yeah. Although I guess I should check my beach privilege again. Because, like, I realize, like, I'm being problematic saying that stuff. But, mm. I mean, some statistic is, like, 90% of Australia's population live 50 kilometers from the coast. Mm. It, it's all beaches, obviously, in Australia are free. Like, we don't have any of that weird, like, gated Oh, the Italian bullshit. style. Yeah. yeah so it's like anybody can go. I, I guess we're just spoilt for, like, good water activities and mm. that's where i'm coming from by looking at them camp on this beach but if he's a certified scuba diver like i think <laughs> that takes like 100 hours to get to and he's got equipment he's like he's had to fill up the gas tanks like he knows and he's he like knows this something. dirt like is is the place <laughs> it'd be like he wouldn't be able to see a thing it'd be so murky but let's say he could like what <laughs> like what's it <laughs> it's just the weirdest all right. Okay. All right. Anyway, so, so, so he's been scuba diving. She's been having a nap <laughs> on this dirt beach where they've been camping. When they discover the bag containing their car keys and Steve's phone and wallet is missing, they return to where they parked their car to discover it is also gone. Returning to town on foot, they avoid. Well, almost returning. Like it, remember, like it was a long drive to get here. Trying to return to town on foot. This is a misleading bit of Wikipedia. Yeah, okay. They avoid a collision with their own car because the teens are now driving it, dri- driven recklessly through the woods by the gang's psychopathic leader, Brett. 
Now, they're just basically like, she the whole time is like, come on, let's just get out of here. Mm. They the keep grass walking. is greener. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. They keep walking until they find the gang basically torturing a head, not a, head, a badger at night time and that they, you know, around a fire. And Steve goes in and he's basically like, I. Uh. My, I want idiot. my car keys and I want my car back and I want my phone back. And yeah. the leader of the gang, Brett, is like, we didn't take your car. We didn't have your car keys. We didn't have your phone. And like, when when has that ever worked in history? <laughs> I'm like, all right, stop bullying me now. I've been bullied enough. <laughs> I think he actually literally goes, you have your fun. Like, oh, what? What well, like bully's gonna be like? Oh, so you're upset about what I'm doing? So, yes, <laughs> but please stop now, or I'll get more upset. <laughs> it's like he doesn't—he doesn't have a lot of cards cards to play. So he's pounced on the teens. One of them, like, and there's a bunch of them, right? One of them gets scared, and and keep in mind that Brett. Is Fighting children, I also don't like. Like, even though like British right. gang kids are scary, I don't like fighting twelve-year-olds no. and thirteen-year-olds. No. I don't think that is a cool thing. No, 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 no. Like, they are still kids, right? Anyway, so does he have his mind? I'll give you a good thrashing and send you home to your parents, kind of scenario. So <sighs> they get into a scuffle. One of them has a knife and sort of, kind of half-heartedly goes to stab Steve. He grabs the hand of this guy to stop him from stabbing him. Meanwhile, one of the kids has like a Rottweiler that's been barking the whole time. The Rottweiler breaks free of the grass, comes towards them. We don't really see what happens, but the Rottweiler gets stabbed. And oh, dies. God. Oh, God. This sends Brett into a maniacal rage. The couple grab the keys and flee, get in the car, but the car gets bogged. The gang throws stones at the car breaking the headlights the car gets free but now it doesn't have headlights and there's no real road so they're just driving through the forest and eventually they hit a massive tree at speed steve gets trapped within the car and he just basically tells jenny to just run get to safety and call i think it's triple nine in the uk how much victim blaming would you do if you took that call? You'd be like, oh, so sorry. So you got in a fight with. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so wait, hang on. So there's 12-year-olds yeah. and you you killed their dog. Yeah, you stole their knife, used it to kill their dog. <laughs> you broke into their house. <laughs> All right, so she escapes. We see Brett find the car, break the window, cuts to black. It's morning. They're, they're in the middle of the forest. I don't know where the fuck they are. Jenny stumbles upon the group. Okay, so this is what, so this is like I said before, like this movie's actually brutal and dark and awful. And there are some horror films that are just unrelentingly bleak. And mm. this is one of those films. Nice. So at daybreak. Thanks for sharing it with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also really, yeah, yeah, I am, sorry. So at, at daybreak, Jenny stumbles upon the group who have tied Steve to a rock with barbed wire. I do feel like in your 12-year-olds, you do, a, you do get a fuck this moment. Like you're like, I'm not doing this. 
So, well, well, what's what's interesting about this is it's very much like Brett is the ringleader and a couple of the kids are kind of into it, but a couple are like, basically, we don't want to do this. And it happens through the film that they're basically like, we don't want to be a part of this. But Brett has control over them because he's the sort of, you know, it's like he's the bully friend and it's, you know, a bully friend, bully enemy. You're still a bully, right? Yeah, okay. So... That's the old saying. Bully friend, bully enemy, still a bully. <laughs> <laughs> it's the oldest story of them all. So so one of the kids is basically like, hey, we should let him go. This has gone too far. Mm. And Brett's like, we can't do that. As soon as he goes, he's going to call the police and then we'll be fucked. And the kid's like, well, I didn't touch him, which gives Brett an idea. And he's like, yeah, no, you didn't. So he takes his knife out and he gives it to each of the kids. And he's like, everyone here has to stab him once or slice him once. So we're all in this together. And he forces them all to do it, including like there's a really young member of the gang and it's like super heartbreaking that he makes them do it. That's really cool. Right? And scary, like awful, yeah. And so Paige is the only girl in the group. And it's funny how they keep referring to it as a gang because it's like they're clearly a bunch of kids. Like... Mm. Yes, they're doing fucked up things, but just calling it a gang is, it's just so clear, yep. like the intent. Whose side they're on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Paige is the only girl in the group and she's recording it on her mobile phone because Brett tells her to. Now they've all stabbed him and Brett's like, we've all had a part of it and we can't let him go. So now we have to kill him. Jenny is watching this from a distance the whole time. I don't, I don't know how technology worked in 2008. It's a fucking lifetime ago, right? Like they were yeah. all using fucking flip phones. I think it was a Nokia she was on. She's trying to pair her Bluetooth with his phone that the gang leader has so she can call the police. Anyway, so remember the first time that someone was like, I got a camera on my phone? And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever fucking heard. But anyway, this thing happens. Yeah, technology this age. Yeah, it's it's, sorry. Yeah, my point is this age of technology. Facebook, we've had for like two years at this stage, but it was all like all my first 15 status updates are like, James is drunk and I'm like, James is drunk and I'm at my parents' house. That's like, that's like every single status for like 2006 to 2009. Yeah. iPhones don't exist. Smartphones yeah. aren't a thing. How weird is that? Anyway, so. Well, no, I think it's the phase where I think they came out in 2007 and for like the first two years, the most popular app on the iPhone was an app that looked like a beer that you sort of drink. <laughs> Do you remember that app? You sort of tilt yeah. on its side and drink a beer. Like, well. All right. So, okay. So anyway, so she's trying to use his phone's reception to call the police. She gets reception. She calls the police, but it indicates on his phone that it's calling the police too. Brett notices on his phone. He's like, what the fuck? Stops the call and then's like, she's here. She's connected by Bluetooth. And she realizes she's essentially being found out. She stands out and starts to run away. So the gang give chase, giving Steve enough time to free himself and escape. Jenny also evades the gang and finds Steve, but is unable to nurse his fatal wounds. She finds an engagement ring in his pocket because until now she didn't know that that was his plan. And Steve proposes to her before dying. 
Jenny runs off to find help, but accidentally... Did she say yes, or is she still footloose and fancy free? <laughs> Imagine if she said no. <laughs> She's like, ooh, can I think about this? <laughs> can, I, can I think about this? <laughs> it's been a pretty intense few days. <laughs> <laughs> His oh. legs really shit. <laughs> <laughs> His legs really shit. I only pretended when I said it was great. <laughs> I was only being nice until we got home so I could break up with you. Okay, so Jenny runs off to find help but accidentally steps on a large spike and her scream gets the gang's attention. Jenny runs into Adam. And begs for help. So remember that little kid at the start? The I do. Nerd? I do remember it. Like, I remember because they got the name Adam mm. of like first child's, you know, innocence, probably, you know, men- developmentally challenged. Like, it's another shit name for, for a dude. Jenny runs into Adam and begs for help. And he says he will, but he ends up texting Brett because there's yes. this implication that he wants to be cool and he thinks yes. this is going to make him cool. Okay. So again, this fucking film, they tie Jenny along with Steve's dead body to a pile of wood and Brett forces Adam, the nerdy kid, to light a bonfire while Paige films it. And they fucking do. His body starts burning. Brett is telling all the kids, like, ask her, is she warm yet? And they're like, they're basically crying and they're kids and they're like, we don't want to do that. He's like, fucking ask them. Ask, ask them, ask, ask her if she's warm yet. Anyway. Eventually the ropes, the, the, eventually the fire burns the ropes and she's able to escape. Brett, while she escapes, shouts out to her, if you don't come back, I'm going to burn Adam, like the young nerdy kid. Oh, my God. This yeah, time okay. she doesn't run around and then he fucking does. And there's, there's like a shot from a distance where we basically see this young kid set alight. And she vomits, like, seeing what's happened, but just keeps running. Like, it's this, this film, man. Like, this fucking film. That's really mean-spirited, I think. It's a very bleak, mean-spirited film. Mm. So Jenny continues to evade the gang, and there's a point where the really young kid finds her and walks up to her and basically says, like, I want to help you. Because he's, he's based, like, he's the youngest. He's probably 11 or 12. He didn't want to stab Stephen. He, mm. He's not with Brett. And he's like, I want to help you. But she's so, like, she's so gone now that she immediately turns around and with a piece of glass she'd scavenged from one of the previous things, just stabs this kid straight in the neck and kills him. Pretty fair, I suppose. After finding his body, Brett is thrown into further rage and beats Harry, another gang member, to death. Because Harry's basically like, I don't want any part of this. And then he tries to call his brother. And Brett's like, don't call, don't call. And when he won't do what Brett says, Brett just beats him until he dies. And Paige, seeing this, just runs away in fear. Jenny reaches a road and is picked up by a driver who is looking for his brother, Ricky, another gang member. When he exits the van to talk with Ricky, Jenny drives off, running over Paige in the process. Now, something we talked about 
in this podcast when we've taken a step back and been like, well, what actually makes a horror film? And one of the things we talked about was the ending, that it had to end badly. It had to end bleakly, right? Yeah. But I think there's, 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 there's more to that. It can't just end bleakly. They have to give us hope and then yeah. take it away from us. Dashed hope. Yes, well, well said. Well said. Right, so she's escaped. She's in this car. The kids don't have a car. They're all gone. And, in fact, on her way out, Paige stumbles into the road. She, again, is so far gone that she accelerates and knocks and, like, runs over Paige and kills her as well. So she's now killed two of the kids. Brett has killed two of the kids. The dog is dead. Like, it's, it's this utter massacre. Her, her, God, fuck, her partner has been tortured and brutally murdered. Like, it is... Yeah. All of this has happened, but she has escaped. All of that has happened, but it doesn't matter because she has escaped. As Jenny makes it back into town, she crashes into a fence at a large backyard party and collapses. She walks into the party and basically screams like, help me, like help. And everyone's a bit shocked, but one of the women stands up and she's like, the fuck are you all doing? Come on, let's help this woman. Let's help her out. So she collapses, she passes out. She awakes to find herself being comforted by a woman and her husband, John, inside this house, surrounded by people. Like there are so many people in this house because it's a party. This is a really weird 90 degree turn for wait, the film to take. Wait, okay. But she soon realizes she's in Brett's house. John, who is the father, notices Reese's van on his lawn as one of the other parents receives a call from the... Sorry, this is a terribly written... There's there's a huge Mm. typo. But basically, she receives a call from one of the kids who over the phone informs her that, like, we don't know what they inform her, but basically that there are children dead. She goes into the bathroom because before they actually realize what's happened, she goes in, they're like, look, tidy yourself up. She locks the door. She finds a straight razor in the, in, in the cupboard because she looks for a window. She can't get out. And she's like, I'm trapped. Holds a straight razor. John kicks the door in and is confronted by all of the party guests as well as Brett who has returned home. Brett has convinced the adults that Jenny and Steve sadistically murdered the gang members. Jenny begs John to call the police and then tries ineffectually to attack him with a razor she found in the bathroom. But John quickly subdues her. John tells Brett to go upstairs, then takes Jenny back into the bathroom with two other men. Brett goes upstairs, shuts the door so he can't hear her screams downstairs, goes into his room, opens his phone, deletes the photo, deletes the videos of the gang's crime, puts on the sunglasses he stole from Steve, and stares bleakly into the mirror. I mean, I get why, I get why you liked it. The no holds barred element is pretty compelling. But there is something very grim and mean spirited about it. And I do love the idea of Fassbender proposing to some of the lyrics from Window Shopper, which is just <laughs> We can go from fully dressed to just having no clothes. 
then you could run and tell the local town about my sex game. Then murdering all your little friends could be the next main. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?